Uh, thanks, Richard. Uh, we're going to turn to God's Word uh, now. As we do that, uh, let me lead us in a prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for that reminder Richard gave us there that uh, your desire is to draw us uh, through Jesus so that one day we'll get to enjoy heaven. And what makes heaven heaven is that you are there and we will be right with you. Uh, that is a joy set before us. And as we turn to your word now, we ask as you are speaking, God, would you draw us closer to yourself, help us as we read these words, uh, to put our trust in the Lord Jesus, uh, to trust and obey him. Amen. Uh, now, those of you at home who are younger, um, you might have some of your own activities now. I think Darren's uh, recorded some things. So if you're going to do that, now is the time uh, to, to grab uh, anything you've printed out, uh, Bible passages, uh, and head to where you're going to do that. Maybe somewhere else in the room you're in, maybe in a different room. Have a great time doing that. And as we come towards our final uh, hymn of worship at the end, we hope you'll come back and join us. Uh, for everyone else, if you've got a Bible nearby, whether you're, you're here in the building um, or at home, uh, we're going to have two readings again this morning as we continue this series from the Sermon on the Mount. The first reading is from the Old Testament, uh, the book of Micah, uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 5, before we turn to, to Matthew's Gospel. If you've got a Bible there and can find your way to that, uh, Micah. Uh, one of the, the small prophets in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 4, and then verses 1 to 5. And I will read these for us. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And the second reading is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And I will read verses 1 to 12. Uh, Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll keep that open in front of you. Uh, And as we come to look at these words, I uh, I tell you, the the other week, uh, The Guardian Online carried an article uh, that was reporting uh, persecution of Christians around the world has been increasing during the pandemic. It seems that authoritarian governments have been stepping up surveillances of and in churches. Islamic militants have been exploiting the crisis. In Nigeria, the number of Christians murdered this past year has tripled. 3,800. There's been reports of Christians in Asian countries being refused COVID-related aid. Now, that's not to say Christians are the only ones who suffer, but even a report from our own government back in 2019 said that in some parts of the world, persecution against Christians has been reaching genocide levels. Now, we have nothing like that uh, going on in, in our own country, mercifully. Yet, you can come across lower-level hostility. Uh, let it be known that you're a Christian, and in some situations, it will put you in a slightly awkward spotlight. Uh, some families take a dim view uh, of someone in their family who's become a Christian, or you face flack in the workplace or at school. I might mention before, uh, years back when I was younger, a year nine girl I knew uh, of, uh, her English teacher said to her, something a bit different today. Everyone, I want you to close your eyes, put your, put your heads down on, on the desk. And if anyone's a Christian, just put your hand up for a moment. Nobody's going to see it. And then after that had happened, he said, great, everyone open your eyes. Now, Alison, would you stand up and tell the class why you're a Christian? You understand what that's designed to do to a young girl at 14. It's not the same level as other countries, is it? That kind of thing. But you do begin to wonder why being a Christian attracts that kind of thing at all. And then you hear Jesus' words. Matthew 5, verse 10. If you've got it there in front of you. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you hear in those words, as you, you pause and think about them, you hear in those words, not, not just information, there is actually something in there that is, that's orientating. It kind of orientates you in life. It, it helps explain a, a Christian's location and why certain things begin to come at them. Because this is saying, look, persecution as a Christian, it's expected. And also... As you think on Jesus' words, he's saying in a strange way, it's it's also authenticating. I found out uh, there's various tests. I had a look during the week. There's various tests to see if a diamond is fake. There's some tests you can do at home if you've got a diamond. One is the fog test. It's pretty simple. Uh, Make sure the diamond's clean. It doesn't have any kind of grease or anything on it. Then you just breathe on it. And if the condensation clears after one to two seconds, that's a good sign of authenticity. If it stays longer than that, 
alarm bells just to say, Julia, my wife, if you're watching at home, the, the diamond I got you at our engagement, that, that was a bit more special. It doesn't really respond to those kind of tests, so do, don't worry about it if you're doing any tests. But that's one test. There's another test called the fire, te the fire test. Now it sounds much more exciting. What you do is you get the, the alleged diamonds uh, and you heat it up in a, a strong heat for, for 30 seconds. Then you drop it into a glass of cold water. Try this later on today. Diamonds are really strong. Temperature change doesn't really impact them that much. So if it just sinks to the bottom, good sign of authenticity. If it shatters, alarm bells, <laughs> alarm bells, you might not really have got a real diamond. And look, that's a, that's a silly thing. But in a sense, so too with Christians. Verse 10, that we're kind of zooming in on this morning. Verse 10 comes as a pair with verse 3 because both speak of authenticating qualities seen in people who are in God's kingdom. Verse 3, they are poor in spirit. And verse 10, they're persecuted because of righteousness. I guess you could put it like this. Um, those, those who've come into God's kingdom, at the end of recognizing that they've, they've nothing to offer God, they're, they're spiritually bankrupt. They, they need Christ to save them. And also, they'll, they'll continue loyally with Christ, even if they're persecuted. These verses are saying that we've got before us today, look, loyalty to Christ, it will lead to persecution. But that loyalty, it'll bring you an even greater joy. Now here's the first of those. Look, at loyalty to Christ it leads to persecution. Uh, what does Jesus mean by righteousness here? The word gets used in a, a couple of different ways in the Bible. It's, it's used differently. Sometimes that word righteousness, it, it speaks of the, the standing, if you like, the standing God credits to people who trust Jesus. I'm the guilty one. Jesus is the one who is not only innocent, but he always did what was right. He was righteous. And at the cross, he made what, what was the, the great exchange, innocent for guilty, free for condemned, sinless for sinful, Jesus for, for you and for me if we're trusting him. Jesus took you wrong, and God credits you with with all of Jesus' goodness, he, he treats you as if you've, you've done all the things that, that Jesus has done. He gives you his righteousness. You're saved. You're secure at that point. Not, not by making sure that you keep doing enough. That's not the way the gospel works. It really is good news. No, but you're, you're saved. You're secure through trusting Christ. He gives you, he gives to you all that he's done for you. That's one way the word's used. It's at the heart of the gospel, but it, here it's been used a little bit differently. It seems to refer to, well, it refers to a life that, that wants to begin to conform to God's will. You could think about it this way. Look, knowing the kind of righteous life that Jesus gave to save me, just seeing that, knowing it, appreciating it, just, just delighting in it, he's all the things he's done, he's, he's given to me, knowing that kind of righteous life. If, if he's my Lord, if I'm, I'm trusting him, 
you'll see that in the way that I want to begin to live for him. I want to begin to live like him. I, I want my life, I guess you could put it this way in some ways, to begin to, to echo his life. It will, never, it will never sound out as wonderful as his life, but I want in my life just to be some kind of at least faint echo of his life and the way I go about things. It isn't what makes me a Christian, but it's how authentic Christians live. So how do you spot how do you spot someone who's, who's really come into God's kingdom? Well, they'll be trusting Jesus, poor in spirit. The kind of person who, who at some level, when you say to them, you, you did something really wrong. What, what you did was wrong. But because they know they're people who mess up, they're spiritually bankrupt, they have nothing to offer God, they'll recognize you might be right. They'll not just be defensive straight away. They'll they go, you might be right, and they'll say sorry. Dads. Those of you who are dads uh, at home, are you poor in spirit? Are you poor in spirit when it comes to, to family discussions? Or are you the one who's always correcting, but never apologizing? Teenagers. Uh, your mum's patiently asked you to do something for the fourth time is your response and angry, okay, I'll do it, stop going on about it. Or are you poor in spirit? Uh, even in your teens, as you, as you want to echo Jesus' life, are you saying, sorry, I, I should have done it. Uh, I'll go and do it now. Poverty in spirit, if it's there, you, you'll spot it in lots of ways. And strangely, Poverty in spirit brings a delightful confidence. It brings a really delightful confidence because people have got it. They, they don't need to always be pretending that they've done the right thing because they know the good news. Jesus saved them, not because they were good enough, but because he was, and that means they can begin to own up to things they get wrong. It brings a delightful confidence and honesty. Yeah, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. And then here's verse 10 as well. Here's the pair with it. They'll also want, though, even while admitting they get things wrong, they'll also want, even imperfectly, to start living life shaped by Jesus' kind of life. They'll be loyal to him. What he calls wrong, they call wrong. What he loves, they'll begin to say is lovely. You found that. Is Jesus your Lord? Are you beginning to live for him that way? And if you are, it's here, I think, that you begin to discover what you might call the pathology of Christian persecution. Because what happens, what happens if a life wanting to be shaped by God begins to pop up in a world that really doesn't like God, doesn't want him around, doesn't want to know him? Well, then many won't like it. And the symptoms will vary depending on the context, won't they? I mean, harsh oppression in North Korea, snide comments in North Cambridge. But the root's the same. You know that game, um, if you ever go to the fair or the carnival or something like that, you can see it at the stalls. I think it's called whack-a-mole. You know, is, that, is that what it's called? You, you know the little thing, the, the game where there's, you're given a mallet and there's, there's holes all over the place and, and little... Little animals pop up, and your job is to whack them down, uh, whack them down as, as fast as you can. And as soon as you do that, another one comes up, and you've got to get it. The Bible, in a sense, 
sort of says that's the game the world's playing with God. It wants to get rid of him. And getting rid of him, it really doesn't want to be reminded of him. And Jesus came, popped up in the world, clear as clear can be, God on display. And what does the world do? Well, people whacked him down. But then three days later, he popped back up. His indestructible life couldn't keep him down. And now worse than that for the world in a sense, people who've come to him, poor in spirit, he changes them. They love him. They're loyal to him. And they start popping up all over the place too. And they'll they'll pop up in North Korea. Uh, They'll pop up in Iran. They'll pop up in workplaces like AstraZeneca. They'll pop up in schools like St. Bede's, the uh, Tevishan Primary School. They'll they'll pop up all over the place. And lives that, that keep saying, Jesus is the Lord we've ignored. Jesus really is the Lord. We've ignored him, but, but he's come to be our savior. And if you want to keep rejecting him, many will want to whack those lives down. That, that's what's going on. That's what's at the root of it. That's why loyalty to Jesus, it always leads to persecution in, in some way. And look, understand that, that kind of loyalty, it doesn't mean look at school or, or family, every day you're standing up and saying, I'm a Christian. But it will come out, even in little ways. You know, the friend who, who for some bizarre reason is crossed because you don't swear. And they say things like, you're such a prude. Or I remember Andy, a student I knew, I know, he was, he was getting hassled for being a Christian when uh, he was on a, a, an engineering place, work placement during his course. And the issue was, of all things, the issue was his 15 minutes morning break that he was meant to take. And the issue was he took 15 minutes. And after 15 minutes, he went back to work. And the problem was the other guys who worked there didn't just take 15 minutes. And they started on at him, calling him a, a Christian goody two-shoes. And I said, all, all I wanted to do was do my work in the way that I thought was the right way to do it. And there's bigger ones as well, isn't there? When someone says, oh, are you one of those bigoted Christians who thinks, who thinks sex is only for marriage? There's all sorts of things that come our way, isn't there? And I think like, reading this, that you, you can avoid the discomfort that comes with that. There is a way to avoid those kind of situations of discomfort. But only if you're disloyal to Jesus. That's really the only way you'll avoid it. But he is your Lord. So don't do that. And remember, that loyalty, it brings an even greater joy. And just to be clear, I'm not saying, look, persecution, uh, persecution brings a joy. Persecution is not a joy at any level, whether it's just insults or something more painful. It is a misery. It's not persecution, but the loyalty that causes it, which brings an even greater joy. At verses 11 and 12, it's interesting, this, this beatitude, this is the one that Jesus expands for us. 
he expands it a little bit, and he, he says various things. He, he, he helps explain that persecution might be violent at times and in some places, but it also includes, from what Jesus says, insults, people falsely accusing you. Uh, but the joy, it, it's found, he says, in, in a person, in a promise, and in a pattern. Uh, the person, well, the first 10 is talking about Christians generally. You come on to verse 11, and Jesus makes it personal. See how he puts it, blessed are you, speaking to his disciples, uh, when you're persecuted because of, but he doesn't say righteousness this time. He says, because of me. This really is about being loyal to Jesus, and he sees that. If you're persecuted at, at any level, it is personal to you, isn't it? You feel it. Uh, the, the unkind words, uh, the treatment that you get, you, you feel it. It is personal to, to you. And this says it is personal to Jesus as well. He takes it personally. And that means you're never alone in it. And there's also a promise for those who are loyal to Christ. Uh, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. That first reading that we had from Micah, if you can remember that. Uh, the Old Testament prophet spoke of a great future day. He, he describes it in kind of a poetic terms about the mountain of the Lord. He says it will be established as the highest and the, and the people will come to it saying this is the place, this is the place where God will teach us, where we can really get to know God, a, a place where we'll find peace with no more fear will enjoy life forever. It's a poetic way of saying, this is the place where you, you find what, well, what Richard was talking about in the notice for CE earlier. Is, this is the place where you find eternal life. It's heaven. This is the place you want to be. How do you find that place? How do you find that mountain? It'd be good to know where is that mountain where God teaches you, where, a mountain where God would teach you and where he would give you real life. And then you imagine coming to Matthew 5, and God the Son came and sat on a mountainside. And he taught people about a place where there's comfort and mercy, where you get to see God and be part of his family. And he's promised that those who come humbly can have all of it for free. It's yours. And you understand what this is saying? You, you're at that mountain. You're at it. You've found him. You've come to him. It is Jesus. Yes, there is a now and a not yet to. We've not got it all now, but you have his promise. So don't ever throw it away because of persecution. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. I think as well, as we come towards the end, there's also an encouraging pattern. Do you hear the end of verse 12? Jesus says, puts it like this, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And what's happening in persecution is the pattern of what always happens to people who are loyal to Jesus. You can think about even in the Old Testament, you think about Joseph with his brothers or, or David or Elijah or Daniel. That's the pattern. But I think it also gives an insight into the role Jesus has for us. Here we are as a church family, here at Christ Church. What, 
What is part of the task Jesus has in mind for us? In the awkward conversation at work, if you're made fun of at school because you're a Christian, if you're, if you're persecuted in a more severe way somewhere else, Jesus says, you're like the prophets who went before you. In a sense, we're, we're like prophets that in our living and speaking, we also hold out the message of a gracious Savior, of his cross that says we've, we've lived rejecting God, but Jesus really can save us. In our living and our speaking, we, we follow the pattern of the Old Testament prophets. That's part of what we're meant to be doing as a church family. And if you thought about the way the gospel works, the, the pattern even there is always, isn't it? It's always death leading to life. That's the way it was with Jesus. Jesus died and rose again in order to bring others, bring life to others. Prophets in the Old Testament persecuted. They, they were whacked down in, in order to bring the, the message of life to others. Here's our church. And we feel weak at the moment. We want to be strong. Uh, but this says, look, when we pop up for Jesus, we'll often be whacked down for it. That's the pattern. It's the way God works. Don't despise it if you're given a hard time for being a Christian. Jesus, well, Jesus poured out his life. He poured out his life to save a lost world. Christ church, if we face persecution, it's not pointless or worthless we're beginning to echo the Savior, pour out our lives as well, is how God often works to make his enemies his friends. What a joy to know that. That you're suffering persecution is not pointless. God works through it. What do we do with this? You, you begin to read these words and you, there's so much you, you realize there's never enough time. But let me suggest two things as we come to a close here. Um, the persecuted church, those are persecuted in more extreme ways. It would be good for us, I think, here at Christ Church, with all our blessings, to be thinking and praying for them. I was on the, the website of Open Doors. They're a charity. Uh, they give all sorts of information um, about that. You could, you could click on there, pick a country, pray for them. Uh, you might find a way to send some practical help. Blessed are the merciful. Uh, for they will be shown mercy. That could be one thing we'll do. And the, the second thing, just as we close, be, before we rush into any other kind of activity off the back of this, it's, it's worth listening to what Jesus tells us to do, the, the command he gives in these verses. Do you, do you see it? Verse 11, or verse 12, actually. Rejoice and be glad. That's the command he gives us. And I suspect it's, it's partly because he knows persecution is, is hard to face and we need something to help us if we're going to keep being loyal to Christ, finding joy in him. You think about it this way. If, if, we, are, if we are kind of loyal to Christ, it will lead us to worship him. And if we're worshiping him, I think as we sing our praises, it, it does us good, doesn't it? And it reminds us to be loyal to Christ. Loyal to Christ, we worship him. Worshiping him, we're reminded and encouraged to be loyal to him. It's, it's like a, 
It's like a vicious circle, isn't it? Only the equivalent, a positive vicious circle. It doesn't get worse and worse. It gets better and better. And that's why it's good for us, isn't it? As we gather together to worship, to sing out with our voices where we can, those of you at home, in the buildings, with, in, in the, building, the way we can, to, to worship the Lord is our first response to him. It encourages us in our loyalty to him. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing praise to God. Those of you at home, if normally you just sit around on a Sunday and let the, the songs of worship uh, enjoy them being played to you, why not today stand up and sing, even if it feels a bit weird, and worship the Lord with your own voice. You're able to do that. It will encourage you in being loyal to him. And here in the building, we'll stand in a moment as the music begins. And as best we can, we want to worship the Lord. We're going to sing these words in this closing hymn. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before his throne. Now, loyalty to Jesus, it always leads to persecution. But that loyalty brings an even greater joy. The music's going to begin in a moment, and when it does, let's stand and worship our Lord and Savior. <laughs>